Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. We are dedicated to bringing you comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. We hope this will encourage, equip, and empower you to live your life without limits. As you realize your potential, you will join a dynamic group of passionate people who are actively bringing the unstoppable power of heaven into the darkest places on earth. Join us as we hear from regular, everyday people who are living the adventure of a lifetime in every area of their lives, including business, relationships, finances, and health. Here is your host, Justin Self. Hello and welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm Justin Self, and before we get into the content, I want to take a few moments to share a little bit of history behind this podcast. In 2012, I was very depressed, I was broken, and I was on the verge of suicide. Um, I was navigating a broken marriage, a pornography addiction, and I was having a very difficult time just making my ends meet. Um, My relationships were broken kind of on all sides, and I was a total mess. Throughout that time, uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up going back to a church. I had been out of church for a while, and one night I ended up having just the most radical encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He revealed himself to me in such a powerful way. Um, Ever since that moment, I've never been the same. I've been completely different. You know, my life has just turned right side up. I've really come into realizing my purpose in life and believing God for things, living in faith, and just seeing the most amazing things happen. After that experience, I got right into the Word of God. I didn't want to, man, I didn't, I didn't know a lot, but at least I had enough sense to know that I can't build my life off just an experience. And so I got right into the Word of God, right, got right into some good teaching, and really solidified during those first few months after that experience uh, the scripture and the word of God, just the foundation of how, you know, how solid the foundation of the word of God really is in my life. And so after a period of time, I started, you know, I went out and did what I read in the Bible. You know, I went out and laid hands on people and I prayed for them and I started pe- seeing people healed, started seeing demons cast out of people. You know, I, it wasn't anything, it, it was totally radical to me, but I just, I saw it in the Bible. I saw these truths, you know, where he says, in Mark 16, you know, the, this, these signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with tongues. So I just believed it. And I just started going out and doing it. And sure enough, results followed. And so this kind of started my journey of what I call, you know, living a life without limits. And the whole point behind Unstoppable is to encourage others, to equip, to teach, to empower people. I mean, everybody who, who's listening uh, to live a life without limits, to live up to our fullest potential, because I believe God has a plan and a purpose for every single person on the planet. Nobody is a dud. Nobody is meant to live a mediocre life. Nobody is meant to be average. Every single one of us is meant to do something great. And whether that something is to preach in front of a thousand people, or if it's just to love the person next to you, it doesn't matter. Those are both great things. We're called to greatness. We're called to impact people. And so this whole idea of living life without limits, a lot of it focuses on our own personal faith and growing and, you know, walking in health and walking in financial prosperity and all those types of things. But the main idea is that as we do that in our own personal lives, we're growing uh, in unity as a community. So if all of us, if each of us as believers are growing in these areas and experiencing victory in these areas, we we will end up working together in unity, right? The body of Christ is going to be healthier, it's stronger and more able to bring the gospel of Jesus to the dark places on the earth. We need to be victorious. We need to be living a life without limits. 
We are the ones on the earth who has the answer. We have the answer. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God. We're the ones that should be bringing light to the darkness. And so that's the whole idea behind Unstoppable. As we grow individually, as we fulfill our own God-given purposes and potentials, we end up working together with one another in unity, and we're going to bring millions of people, billions of people, into the kingdom of God. I want to start a series, I'm really excited about it, called Faith in Finances. Today, it's just me. I'm just going to teach from the Bible. And our next episode, uh, I'm planning on it, will be Jenny and I sharing along these same lines and sharing some stories about God's provision in our lives. And again, what the Bible says about finances and blessing. And I think this is really going to be an encouragement to you, um, especially if you have uh, been a Christian for any amount of time, there's, there's usually things that creep in, uh, some myths and some strongholds that kind of have crept into the church over the last couple, you know, I guess, hundred years, maybe, or decades at least. Um, regarding finances. And one of those things they call the prosperity theology or the prosperity gospel. And people, when you say that, man, when you say the word prosperity, people get up in arms. I mean, I've had people get angry and I mean, get up in my face about it. And, well, God doesn't want you to be rich and Jesus was poor and you should be poor and you can't, you can't be a Christian and, and be wealthy. And, you know, and, and here's what I say about all that. I challenge, I challenge you, uh, you know, to get into the Bible, straight up into the Bible and see what the word of God says about these things. There is a balance here. Let's let the Bible be the Bible. Let's let the word of God speak truth to us. And let's, you know, let's, let's get rid of the prejudice. Let's get rid of all these other teachings. Let's get rid of that stuff. Let's forget about the televangelists. You know, are we going to throw the baby out with the bathwater here? Just because we have a televangelist or, you know, we have these people who have who have definitely misrepresented the word of God. I'm not disagreeing with that. You know, when somebody says, hey, for the next 10 minutes, the windows of heaven are open. If you give me a seed of $1,000, God will answer whatever your prayer is. Uh, come on. <laughs> That's not scriptural at all, right? But because somebody does that, does that mean that we throw out the the whole teaching of, of God wants you prosperous and God wants you wealthy, right? Well, why don't we take a look at that today? Let's see what the Bible says about that. We're not going to take a position either way right now. Let's just let's just look at what the Bible says. Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that, that all of scripture, that all scripture is God-breathed. Um, I better turn to it. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is the inspiration of God. It will create in us uh, the ability to be, I mean, we'll be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's let the Bible be the Bible. Um, when it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, it means that it's God breathed. The scripture is God breathed. It's God's breath. When we read the word and spend time in the word, it breathes the actual presence and spirit of God into us. The Bible is not just about God, but it is God, right? Jesus is the word and the word became flesh. The word was present at the beginning with God in creation. So Jesus was present in the beginning with God in creation, right? Doing all these things. Um, but he said, it says he's the word and all scripture is the word. The scripture is the word of God and it, he breathes um, the presence of Jesus. It's hard to explain, but but when we take in the word of God, we're actually taking in God himself into us. Um, man, that is, that is powerful right there. And so, man, if nothing else, man, if, if nothing else, take, take, that, take that away from today's podcast. 
when you get into the Bible, you are not just reading about God. You are reading, you are receiving the actual presence and power of God into your spirit when you read the word of God from a pure heart and not just an intellectual head, but you're like, hey, God, do your thing in me. And you read it and he, he comes in. So with that said, let's get into the Bible regarding finances. And this is going to be a several part series. We're going to get into this thing. And I'm, I'm so passionate about this. I love this. Um, but, but I think we have a lot to learn along these lines. Okay. First scripture. And I have a lot of scripture today. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10. This is the classic scripture that people will use oftentimes to say that money is evil and it's wrong to be wealthy and all these nasty things. Well, let's take a look. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil from which some having strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay. Well, let's read it very carefully. People say things like, oh, the, oh money, money is the root of all evil. And they they think they're quoting this verse. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say money is the root of evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Hmm. In the Greek, that word love of money, it's actually one word, uh, not love and then money, but it's actually one word put together. And in the English, it really means the word avarice. Avarice, which I have pulled up here. Avarice means excessive or insatiable desire for wealth or gain, greediness. So you can see that it's not money itself that's the, that's, that's the root of all evil, but it is this excessive or insatiable desire for wealth or gain or greediness. That's what it's talking about here. That's the root of all kinds of evil. Money is just a resource. It's an inanimate object. It doesn't have a will. It doesn't have a good or an evil side. Money is just money. You can choose to use it for good, or you can choose to use it for evil. But the love of money, the worship of money, and allowing money to be your God, and greediness, and just get all you can. You know, Andrew Womack says, uh, he says it this way, he's like, the Christian life is not about you know getting all you can and canning all you get and then sitting on your can. I love that. <laughs> but it's not about getting all the money you can. Now, when somebody increases in prosperity, does that mean they're wrong and evil? Hmm. Let's take a look. I know that's a very prevalent thing in the body of Christ. People talk about being humble and that you just have to be poor. And, you know, again, Jesus was poor. We should be poor. Well, let me just say one thing about Jesus being poor. Let me say one thing. So when the Magi came, the three, the wise men, we call it the three wise men, but we don't know how many there were. There could have been more. The Magi from the East. Okay. We know from historical records, what kind of men these Magi were. These people were extremely influential people. They would they were actually called king makers. With a word, they could put a king in power, and with a word, they could remove a king. These were people that were astrologers, astronomers as well, right? They would look at the stars. They would interpret the stars. Um, they would know this, this. They would know different scriptures and different. You know, they were religious people. They were political people. They were extremely powerful people and very very wealthy. They were not kings themselves, but they were king makers, magi. When the Magi came to Jesus in Nazareth, in their house, when he was about two years old or so, Mary and Joseph, um, they brought gifts. Now, we see these little movies and these little cute things with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and that's very wonderful. But historically, we know what kind of gifts the Magi would give to kings. It wasn't three little gifts. 
We know what they would give to to low-level kings. We know what they would give to high-level kings. The gifts that they would give to high-level kings were absolutely indescribably crazy. Mountains and mountains and mountains of gold and jewelry and spices. I'm talking it filled Jesus's house with riches. They probably didn't have enough room in their house for it. I'm not exaggerating it. The historical records show that when they give the, the kind of gifts that they give to high level kings were absolutely incredible. Think Solomon, think Queen of Sheba bringing gifts to Solomon, you know, camels upon camels upon camels upon camels, caravans of riches. Now just think what the Magi would give to the king of all kings. They knew that when Jesus came into the world, they knew that the stars and the prophecies all lined up. They knew that this was the king of all kings. You can only imagine what kind of wealth they gave. So let's just put that one to rest. Was Jesus poor? Well, (laughs) they were well financed by the Magi. And it was really cool actually how that happened because immediately afterward, Joseph took Mary and Jesus to Egypt and they lived off off those finances in Egypt. That was provision. That was God's provision uh, for that next season in their life. And so I think there's a practical application I can, I can, I can say here that, you know, um, in a season of prosperity, in a season of harvest, uh, we need to be mindful about the next season. We need to be mindful that, you know, maybe that prosperity, maybe those finances uh, that we've received in this season, we need to think beyond the current season. We need to think about the next season of life and what, what might be coming. And, uh, you know, it's wise to stock things away. It's not greedy to stock things away into your savings account and to, to make plans for the future. It all depends on your heart behind it. Are you stacking up your goods and saying, okay, you know, here's my, here's my wealth and riches and I'm just going to continue to build it and I'm just so greedy. And, you know, like if you're just motivated only by greed and only by your bank account and numbers and like you're, you're, that's your God, that's one thing. But storing up and saving for the future is not wrong. In fact, we're going to see here in a few moments that Proverbs talks quite a bit um, about storing up and quite a bit about uh, finances and blessing and those types of things. And it's a tension. Like it's a, uh, it's a balance, I mean, right? Too rich, too poor. What does it look like? Well, let's take a look. Um, one more scripture I want to mention here out of the New Testament that is used oftentimes, uh, you know, in, in conjunction with, oh, well, you know, the prosperity gospel is wrong. And, you know, listen here, Jesus's own words, you know, Jesus says that it's not good to have riches. Well, let's check it out. Mark chapter 10 verses, uh, I'm going to start with verse 23 and then we're going to go to 24, but let's just focus on verse 23. It says, and Jesus looked round about and said to his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Well, that sure sounds like it's wrong to have riches, doesn't it? He says, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Sounds like rich people can't enter the kingdom of God. So wealth must be wrong, right? That's what we're taught. Let's go on to verse 24, the very next verse. It says, and the disciples were astonished at his words. Well, wouldn't you? But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? That's what my Bible says. My Bible says that Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? So he clarifies it. He doesn't say them that have riches, you know, if you have riches, you can't enter the kingdom of God. That's not what this says at all. This says it's hard for those that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Well, why is that? Well, it's because if you trust in riches and 
you work for your paycheck and you worship that thing. And man, you get a low paycheck and your world falls apart because your, your source, I mean, you have put your source and your trust and your everything on your paycheck and on your job and on your employer and on your riches and your finance and, and your stability and all that. Well, it's not on God, is it? Your trust and hope is on something temporal, something temporary, something, uh, you know, earthly, fleshly, worldly, like nothing wrong again with money. Money is a resource, but it's not God. Money should not take the place of God in our lives, friends. And it oftentimes does. You know, we look at that paycheck and we, we lean our entire life upon that paycheck or we look to our employer as our source. This is where a lot of entitlement comes from. If we think we're entitled to this and entitled to that, you know, because of our employer and, oh, well, my employer owes me this and they owe me that and, and this, that, and the other. Well, what does that say about your trust and relationship with God? It's not wrong to, to expect things and work hard for a paycheck and, and receive that. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. Scripture talks about those types of things. It's okay to work. In fact, it's, it's, we, we need to work. We need to labor. It says in all labor, there is profit. We need to work. We need to do our best. We need to act in integrity. And yeah, we do have things owed to us and it's okay to get those things. But the difference is, is where is your trust? Is God your source? Is God your absolute source? I mean, you'll know if you ask yourself, you know what? If I were to lose my job tomorrow, would I fall apart and be absolutely broken and messed up? Or would I say, okay, Lord, you've got something else for me. Like, let's do this. This is scary and I don't understand it. But God, you're my source. My, my, my job is not my source. You are my source. That, my friends, is absolutely imperative. We've got to get to the point where God is our source. That's not hyper-spiritualizing it. That's just saying, God, you are my source. I trust in you with everything in my life. I lean not on my understanding, but I lean on you with everything in my heart. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep doing the right thing. But even if the world falls apart around me, I am not going to be shaken. I'm not going to be moved because my hope and my trust is, is, is leaning on the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the creator of heaven and earth. And he will never let me down. My finances might let me down. My bank account might let me down. My job might let me down. The economy might let me down. You know, my, even my friends might let me down. My family might let me down. But God, you will never let me down. You are my source. I'm telling you, we only are let down by people that we lean on that are imperfect. And guess what? Everybody's imperfect. Every system is imperfect except for God's system. The only thing that you can lean your entire being upon and have absolute confidence that it will never fail is God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only person you can lean on with everything in your life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That is a promise that you can take to the bank. You can lose your job. You can, you can get sick. You can have terrible things happen to you. And you can lean on that verse and say, okay, I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. I'm not leaning to my own understanding. In all my ways, I acknowledge him. And you know what? I don't understand it. I don't know how, but somehow God's going to bring me through this because he's the one I'm leaning on. Man, that is a good word. Okay, let's go on to another scripture here. Um, like I said, I've got a lot of scripture today and I'm just going to, I'm going to read as much as I can to you. Um, you know, if you're able to look these up and study them on your own, more power to you. I encourage it. Um, if not, if you're driving, um, man, I'm just going to read it for you and hopefully you don't get tired of my voice. I'll try to make it more dynamic and not so monotone. Okay. I'm working on that. So give me some grace. <laughs> All right. Um, 
We're talking about finances. I want to give you a scriptural, again, a scriptural view of what the Bible talks about finances. Now, this is not exhaustive, okay? Disclaimer, not exhaustive. I'm not going through every single verse in the Bible about finances. Otherwise, we'd be here for a month or longer, and I would get tired at some point, and I'd have to take a nap. Not going to happen. So, we're just going to read. Um, I just pulled some several scriptures out, um, you know, things that I've highlighted in my Bible and things that have really spoken to me over the years about finances. And these are things that have really increased my understanding and just kind of built this foundation on the inside of me um, from which I'm sharing today. Okay. So, this is Psalms chapter uh, 112, and these are verses one through five. And I'm just going to read it out for you. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good, de- good man deals graciously and lends. L-E-N-D-S, lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Verse 9, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 9. It says, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. What I want you to notice about this passage of scripture is that this is talking about the righteous person. This is in, in New Testament times, which is where we live in the church age. This is actually talking about you and me. If we're born again, we are upright. We are righteous. Um, and I know that's hard for people to wrap their heads around. They think oftentimes we're told in church, you know, you're not righteous. You're not holy. You have to work your way up. You have to fight against sin and you have to be perfect and you have to do all these things. Well, let me ask you something. If you have to fight against sin to overcome it, then why do you need a savior? What, what good is Jesus to you? If you, you and me can fight against sin and overcome it in our own strength, then why do we need a savior? If we can attain righteousness on our own, why do I need Jesus? Right? I'm righteous and holy in the sight of God because of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that he sees me as holy and righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so I can take a verse like this and I can apply it to me and I can say, man, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. I fear the Lord, delight greatly in his commandments. Descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. My generation will be blessed because I am upright. (laughs) If you have a hard time saying that, I'm telling you, you you got to study this out. You got to see what God's word says about being righteous and holy. It's not performance. It's not you going out and performing and being holy and being righteous in your actions. None of us are ever going to be perfectly holy and righteous in our actions. And I'm not, I'm not excusing sin. I'm not saying, oh man, you know, it's okay to go out and sin now because of grace. No, of course not. Of course not. Living holy and righteous, living holy uh, and righteous from a from our standpoint and doing the best we can is absolutely imperative as well. I mean, my goodness, you 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 choose not to live holy and not to live righteous as a Christian, and um, or or for a non-Christian for that matter, um, and you're opening up the door to Satan. You're opening up the door for all kinds of nasty things to come in your life. Sickness, disease, poverty, uh, nasty, nasty, terrible things. You open the door for demonic influence when you choose to live in sin. So don't live in sin. It's not a good idea. It's going to mess you up. But I'm here to tell you that you working your way up to God through living this holy and righteous life, that doesn't work. 
Again, if it did, we wouldn't need Jesus. And so my, the whole point I'm making here is that this is a scripture that we can apply to us today. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Look at verse three, wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Friend, wealth and riches will be in his house. Does that make it sound like it's wrong to have wealth and riches? I will let you decide. <laughs> also, it says here, it says a good man deals graciously and lends. So it's a blessing to lend. This is actually a promise from the word of God that it's okay to lend. Well, what are you going to lend if you're poor and you're broken down and you're, you're you know, thinking that God is, you know, uh, you know, doing something in your life and making you poor. Now, just, I want to make a little caveat here. I don't want to, I don't want to make a sound to anybody out there who, that, who's listening that, that, oh, it's wrong for you to be poor and, oh, you don't have enough money in the bank. And so you don't have favor with God. That's actually something that I'm completely against. And, you know, I agree with the critics of the prosperity theology. I agree with them in that, in this regard where, you know, you have people that are saying out here, oh, you know, you have to have so much money in the bank for God to move, or, you know, you give so much money and then God will move on your behalf. Well, that's absolutely wrong, but there are scriptures and we're going to deal with that. We'll deal with that here in just a few moments that there is a spiritual law in place about sowing and reaping and giving. And yeah, there is a reality that when you give, it will be given back to you. There is a reality. And, and so it's not wrong to be poor, but I'm here to tell you that being poor is actually, and I mean, I'm talking poverty, poor, uh, you know, being stagnant in your finances is actually uh, a work of the enemy. It absolutely is a work of the enemy to keep you in poverty. Now, you know, it's not wrong to be in poverty and work your way up and, 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 and you know, work on things and, and get these financial laws working in your life um, so that you can be more of an influence to other people. And like I said with the Christmas tree earlier, you know, so that you can let your light shine before people and you can be an encouragement and you can show people, you know, how good God is. Again, this is a tension. There's a tension here. There's a balance here. You know, how do we balance this whole thing about, Justin, you're saying, you know, we want to work our way out of poverty. We want to be prosperous and financially this, that, and the other. But how do you, how do you reconcile that with the gospel of Jesus and like just how it's free and how, you know, all this kind of thing. Well, again, let's let the Bible be the Bible. I'm just pointing out to you in Psalms 112, it talks about a good man deals graciously and lends. It talks about dispersing abroad, giving to the poor, and your righteousness endures forever. Wealth and riches are in his house. Let's look at another verse. Psalm 116, verses 12 and 13, it says, um, it says, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Okay. The point I want to make with this verse is that it actually is an act of worship. It's an act of thanksgiving for us to take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. What that means in the context of, of what I'm talking about is it actually is an honor to look at God and say, okay, Lord, I see in your word that you're making provision for, for finances and wealth and riches and all that. And I want to do it from the right heart, but Lord, I'm thanking you. You've provided these things through salvation. You've provided them through the blood of Jesus on the cross. You've provided health and wealth and, and, and prosperity. He has, and, and we can look into that in the scripture. That is actually an act of worship for us to take up that cup, receive all the benefits of salvation, not just a few, not just forgiveness of sins and leave all the rest, you know, to the weird people and the fanatics, but taking up all of the salvation of God. Now in Christmas time, you know, when you give a gift to somebody, 
Would it be offensive to you or would it be wrong? Or how would you feel if you gave a gift that was extremely thoughtful? I mean, the most thoughtful gift you have ever, you planned way in advance to give this person this gift, a loved one. You worked really hard on it and you just, you wrapped it with care and this whole thing. And then they finally open it. You're watching them open the gift and they, they, they smile and they say, thank you. But then they throw it away. Or maybe they just use part of it and they don't use the rest of it. And they're just like, no, okay, I like this part, but I really, you know, I don't like really care about this other part. And maybe they, they, they break it in pieces or something and they use one piece and then throw the other pieces in the trash. How, how would that make you feel? You just put your blood, sweat, and tears into this thing and they're only using part of it. You want them to use the whole thing. You want them to enjoy the benefits of the whole package. And that's how I believe God looks at us. Not that there's any condemnation, but he's got this beautiful, all-encompassing, multifaceted gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of us in the body of Christ are only using one part. We're just using the forgiveness of sins part. Well, praise God for the forgiveness of sins, that we're born again, that we're not going to hell, and that we get to spend eternity with Jesus, ruling and reigning. Thank God for that. If that's all there was, that would be enough. That's great. But I'm here to tell you, there is more to the gift. There's, there is uh, salvation from sickness. Uh, go to Isaiah chapter 53. There's, there's salvation um, in, in finances. We're talking about that. There's salvation from the enemy, uh, from, from destruction, from demonic influence. In fact, this word uh, sozo in the New Testament used for saved many times of salvation literally has a fourfold meaning. Um, it talks about uh, salvation from sins, from sickness, from poverty, and from demonic um, oppression, anything from the enemy, protection. The salvation, the package of salvation is more than just the forgiveness of sins. Praise God for that, but there's more. And I'm here to tell you, and if you're still listening and you haven't turned me off yet uh, because of this, I know I know this is stepping on some toes. Stick with me a little bit longer. We are going to wrap up here in a few minutes, but man, I got a couple more verses that I just have to share with you. Um Look at this right here. This is amazing. This is Proverbs chapter three, verse nine and 10. This one is, my goodness, this one's offensive. <laughs> this says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your possessions. When it says honor, it, that word in the Hebrew literally means to load like you're loading a truck or something with, you know, hay or whatever it is that you're loading a truck with. It literally means to load God, load him up with your possessions, load him up with the first fruits of all your increase. Are we talking about tithing? Actually not. We're not talking about tithing right now at all. I haven't even gotten to that. This is talking about the first fruits of your increase. This is talking about the very, very, very best. This is the very first part of your paycheck. This is the first part of your, you know, garden harvest, you know, whatever it is that you produce, you give it to God. Does that sound weird? Hey, it's the Bible. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And then look, verse 10, so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Let me ask you, is it wrong for our barns to be filled with plenty? Is it wrong for our vats to overflow with new wine? Hmm. According to this verse, it says, when you honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Sounds like a good thing to me. Very interesting. Now, I'm going to keep moving here. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter three. This is uh, verse, same, same chapter. I'm going to go to verse 13 and I'm going to go all the way down to 16, okay? It says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain better than fine gold. 
She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Verse 16, this is the very next verse. Um, It says, length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand, riches and honor. So we see here this beautiful balance taking place right before our eyes. It says, for the the proceeds of wisdom are better than the profits of silver. So we just need to put wealth and finance in their proper place. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with finances. They're neutral. Again, money is just a neutral resource. It's no different than time. Your time is a neutral resource. You can use it for good. You can use it for evil. You can use it to do the things of God, or you can do it, use it to, use, to do the things of Satan. <laughs> you, know? you can choose how to use your time and your resources. God's given us that ability to choose. Finances are no different. But here, this is the proper context. Wisdom and understanding are better than profits of silver and better than fine gold, more precious than rubies, and all the things that you may desire cannot compare with her. But we don't want to get too far on that fence, on that side of the road either, I mean, and say, oh, well, the wisdom of God and understanding in the Bible is is more important than silver. So we should just not, not talk about finances. So let's just, let's just not have any money at all. Let's just say that wealth is wrong, wrong, wrong. And let's just only go with wisdom from the Bible. That is one side of the, the one side of the, um, the, the, the ditch on one side of the road, if you will. And then the other side of the road would be wealth and riches and honor and everything. This is all there is to it. And there's nothing else in the world that's as important as it. Well, that's avarice. We talked about that. That's the love of money. And that is the root of all evil. Well, there, what's the balance? What's, what's, what's going on in the middle? We, let's take the middle of the road here. Let's take a balanced approach. Let's look at the scripture and let's do what God's word says. It, this is the correct balance. It says the proceeds of wisdom are better than the profits of silver and, and, and more, you know, more than fine gold. And so the wisdom of God and the goodness of God and our relationship with God and the proceeds of wisdom and understanding are better than the physical finances. Haven't you guys ever seen... Um, there was a show year, years ago, I forgot what it was called, but um, a TV show about you know people who would win the lottery or whatever, and then they would go through their life and they'd watch them for a couple of years. And in almost every case, these people, you know, they were they were poverty level. They kind of had this you know poverty mindset level kind of thing. They'd get the lottery, they'd win it, become instant millionaires overnight. And what happened after a couple of years? They lost all their money. A couple of years later, I mean, I'm talking less than five years later, these guys were back in the exact same place in many cases that they were before they won the lottery. Money is not the answer. It's the mindset. It's how you handle your money right now that's going to determine whether or not you're able to handle more money in the future. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 16. Let's turn there. I know I said I'm wrapping up. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So I want to stop right there. This is Jesus saying that it's important for us to be faithful in the unrighteous mammon. Did you catch that? I'll read it again. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you or trust the true riches? So the true riches actually come from us being proven faithful with the unrighteous mammon. This totally goes against everything we've heard, um, you know, about this teaching that says prosperity is wrong, wrong, wrong. This is actually telling us that we need to, we need to be faithful with unrighteous mammon. We need to be faithful and true 
with finances. And that's a way that God's going to reward us with true riches, the true riches of wisdom, the true riches of souls into the kingdom of God. Those are the things that are going to last. Money isn't going to last for eternity, but what we do with money will last for eternity. We can use our money wisely. We can use it to build a foundation around us, not for our own protection or our own good or our own trust, or I'm going to build this big mansion and I'm just going to live there with my family, us four and no more. And we're just going to be rich and amazing. And it's going to be cool. And then we'll go out and we'll minister once in a while. No, we, we, we are entrusted with finances, with the, with the neutral medium of the resource of finances. We're entrusted so that God can see what we're going to do. It's a character builder. That's all it is. It's a character builder and it's an opportunity. It's, it's a resource that we can use to spread the gospel. And it's a resource we can use to bless other people and to do things. But at the end of the day, we need to be faithful with something that is least. Money is the least, right? It is, money itself. I don't care how much money you have or how little money you have. The idea and the resource of money is the very least use of our faith. Jesus is talking about being faithful with finances and how that opens the door to true riches. So again, I'm, I'm really, ha- I'm trying to hammer this home. And I know I've said a lot of stuff today, um, but we're really, we're, we're really going to get into this uh, with Jenny and I as we talk about some stories and we're going to con- continue the conversation. But today, I, my point today was to show that we need to have an open mind towards, towards finances, towards the word of God. What's the balance? What does it look like? And I'm telling you there, according to the Bible, the Bible that I have shows me that there's plenty of blessings. There's plenty of uh, scriptures about about finances and how it's, how it's a good thing, you know, uh, but it has to be in context. Um, one more thing I'm going to read here. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verses four and 22. Four says, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Okay. Slack hand becomes poor. Not a good thing. That's not what we're after. That's in fact, that's what, if you read the, the context of this verse, the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. If you're lazy, you're going to become poor. Not a good thing. In this context, he's, he's not making that sound like it's a good thing. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Again, how you handle and steward the resource of finances is very important to God. Notice that Jesus was watching people throw money into the treasury. And when he saw that old woman, that widow throw in two mites, which is nothing. I mean, absolutely the lowest two uh, denominations of currency in the time threw those things in there. He was watching her. Friends, God is still watching us when it comes to finances. He's very interested in how we handle our finances. Not because he can be bought, not because more money means more favor, not because more money means more blessing, but he's watching to see how we handle finances. If we can be proven faithful to handle something as simple and as menial as finances, he knows he can trust us for a greater assignment. Friends, do not underestimate the power of managing your finances. Last thing today I'm going to say is that there is a blessing on finances, and I want to encourage you um, to be a giver. One of the most, I mean, one of the surest ways that you can, you can, uh, you know, you can start growing in this area of being faithful in finances is through giving. Um, and there is a blessing attached to giving. Um, but I want to encourage you that this is the way it works in God's kingdom. The way that you can be uh, successful in finances, which what, you know, when, you, when you define successful, it's not that you have a lot of money. It's successful by the Bible definition in finances, as we, we just read this in Luke chapter 16, is that you're faithful 
with finances. That's what success with finances means. You can be faithful with $10. If you can be faithful with $10, you'll be faithful with 20. If you can be faithful with 20, you'll be faithful with 40. If you can be faithful in the small amount that you have right now, and you can, you can be shown and be proven over time to be faithful with that little amount, then God is confident that you'll be faithful with much. That's the true measure of success with finances is being faithful. Luke chapter six, verse 38. This is a very popular verse and I don't want to use it out of context by any means, but um, I'm just going to read the verse here and you can read around it. You can kind of see Jesus's discourse here, but um, I'm just going to read this and I'm going to point out that there is a spiritual law in place when we give finances and it does actually yield itself to to being trusted with more finances. Listen to this. Verse 38, it says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. That's your lap. (laughs) Money's going to come to your lap. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That is one of the spiritual laws of finances with the same measure that you use to give or to lend or to, you know, minister to people or whatever it looks like for you to give money, giving it to your church, giving it to a ministry, giving it to, to whomever, um, in the spirit of faith, you know, giving it as an offering to God and, uh, you know, giving with the right heart, with a cheerful attitude, with a, with a worshipful attitude, with that measure that you give, it will be given back to you. And a lot of people use that verse and they say, oh, the prosperity theology just, you know, you're, you're twisting God's arm and you're just taking money and you're giving money and you're only giving so that you can get money back. Well, I agree that that can happen. People can get carried away with this and they can, they can see the spiritual laws working in their life. And so they say, well, I'm going to give money away and I'm going to give it with a great measure so that I can get a great measure back. Well, you know, giving selfishly, um, is not condoned. <laughs> it's not not God, not God's word. And again, that comes back to the whole point of finances. Is that is that handling money faithfully? Nope, of course not. It's not handling money faithfully. The whole point again is to handle this resource faithfully, so that God is watching us. He's seeing how we handle this thing that is the smallest use of our faith. It's really, I mean, it's the smallest thing we could do with our faith. But it teaches us faith. It teaches us how to trust God, like we've been talking about. It teaches us how to make God our ultimate. Uh, ultimate source in everything. And so my encouragement today as we wrap up is, you know, consider consider your job, consider your finances and your income. Are you handling it faithfully? Um, you know, no condemnation, but why don't you take a look at it? Um, take a look at how you, uh, you approach your job and your employer and uh, your paycheck. Do you look at your paycheck as your source? I know it's physically your source. I understand that. I'm not saying that, you know, we, we ignore that, but... Um, your ultimate source. Is God your ultimate source? Is he the one that you put all your trust in? Or if you were to lose your job tomorrow, would you absolutely just, I mean, would, you, would it just ruin your world? I mean, look, I'm, I, what I'm saying is that I've been there, like, but we're there now. I mean, if we were to lose our jobs, uh, it, would, it would be a problem, right? There would be a problem. But you know what? First thing we would do is just say, okay, Lord, like, this is weird. We don't get it but we trust you because we've made God our source. I honestly don't care what the economy does. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care. It doesn't, I mean, I do care because, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a part of this, part of the, part of the country and I'm praying and all that. But what I'm trying to say is it doesn't, it's not going to wreck me personally because I'm living out of a different system. God is my source. We have to get to the point where God is absolutely unequivocally the King and the Lord of every area of our life. And that includes finances. And so um, with that, I'm going to leave you uh, 
just with a blessing, you know, the Bible says that thanks be to God who has given us, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. And so I just want to say that you are already blessed, that um, God loves you, that he's, he's, he's happy with you. He's joyful with you. And if something I've said today has maybe pricked something in your heart and is challenging you, you know, know that there's no condemnation through me or through God at all. He's not condemning his people, but God loves you. God's proud of you and he's with you on this. And so, I love you as well. I'm praying for you. Uh, Thank you so much for being a part and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. For more, visit us at justinself.org. Join our email list at justinself.org to receive exclusive weekly content along with more teachings, blogs, and other resources. You can also connect with us on Facebook at Unstoppable Blog. We hope this podcast has encouraged, equipped, and empowered you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive God's promises and live a life without limits.